0: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Leader Talk. I'm SEAC retired John Wayne Troxel. Today, I'm talking about combat and preparing for the worst day of your life and living a warrior ethos. People ask me all the time, why do I keep talking about this? You know, I've been retired for four years now after spending 38 years in uniform, but I spend a lot of time with the troops. I spend a lot of time out at camps, posts, and stations, but more importantly, I pay attention to what's going on in the world, and ultimately, I give a shit about what goes on with our nation and our military. And I will tell you that after we left Afghanistan, uh, I sensed in my travels to Washington D.C. You know that some folks thought we were entering, we as a nation were entering into this era of persistent peace. Now. Let there be no doubt, none of us wants our troops in combat. None of us wants our nation at war. But I think all of us that have served our nation, that have served in combat, understand that the world is a fucked up place, okay? And that there are bad people in the world that look to do harm to us, to our citizens, and look to impinge on our homeland, our freedom, and our way of life. And also that of our partners and allies. And so we have to understand that. Now, our national defense strategy gets after integrated deterrence. How can we prevent combat? Which is a good strategy to have, again, because nobody wants to go to war because of the human cost of war. But we talk about this integrated deterrence and what we can do to stay out of conflict. But I think I mentioned on earlier episodes, deterrence cannot come through appeasement. And, you know, idle threats to, you know, potential uh, adversaries and things like that will go unanswered, okay? It won't mean anything, all right? So the bottom line is the need to live the warrior ethos in our ranks, the more importantly, to prepare the men and women of our military for the worst day of their life is important. Because, in fact, we are not in an era of persistent peace. You know, it was just February of 2022 when Russia did the full-on invasion of Ukraine and caused the United States and our NATO allies to deploy more troops. Uh, The United States, we we have as many troops deployed in Eastern Europe now than we had since the uh, Cold War in places like Romania, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, in places like that as a means of deterring further Russian aggression. Okay, and then it was just on October 7th of this year that Hamas uh, did the attack, uh, the assault on Israel and their citizens. And since October 17th, because of the United States' support to Israel, we've had almost 100 attacks on our troops in bases in Syria and Iraq by Iranian proxies, Shia militia groups, Hezbollah, folks like that. But then if if you look around, you know, North Korea is another nation that is on the United States radar and is a part of our national defense strategy because of Kim Jong-un's desire to gain a nuclear weapon. But more importantly, ultimately, he wants to take over all of South Korea and bring the entire Korean Peninsula under the banner of North Korea, which is why our 28,000 troops that are there as a part of armistice conditions and are trying to prevent hostilities from restarting uh, are going to be there. And then ultimately, you know, our pacing challenge, China, continues to do provocative stuff in the South China Sea. Uh, They continue with their Belt Road Initiative around the world that uh, will continue to give them not only political and uh, diplomatic power, but uh, military power as well. And so you look at all of these kinds of threats, and especially with the conflicts that are going on in Ukraine and Israel, it's clear that persistent peace is not on the horizon, and that our United States troops have to be best prepared to face the conditions they could face on the worst day of their life in combat against one of these armed enemies. Now, some people look at uh, combat nowadays that it's evolving, and it certainly is evolving. And technology is becoming key. Hypersonic weapons, you know, cyberspace, as well as electronic warfare are all critical warfighting components. But let there be no doubt that when it comes down to it, in terms of major combat, It is going to be the will of one force against the will of another, and it is the human dimension of that fight that will come to the forefront. And all you have to do is look at what's going on in eastern Ukraine, especially, but across that country, as well as in uh, the Gaza Strip uh, with the Israeli war, to see the human cost, the human cost that terrorists have put on Israelis, as well as the Israelis have put on Hamas, and unfortunately, the collateral damage that has caused innocent Palestinians to be killed. And in terms of the Ukraine-Russia war, I think at the last count, Russia has lost almost 340,000 troops in two years. Now think of this, the United States Army, active army, only has about 450,000. In two years, Russia has had almost 70% of that number killed in action. And so how do you prepare to face the conditions that you could encounter as a warrior in combat on the worst day of your life? That's what we're going to get after in the next segment. But right now, let's hear from a great message from our sponsors at Downrange Supplements. Downrange Supplements. As the brand of the troops, we produce only the highest quality supplements conducive to mission effectiveness. Whether it's our fully dosed pre-workout, recovery and rehydration, or Mermite protein, it's time to continually improve your fighting position with Downrange Supplements. Go to www.DownrangeSupps.com today and take your training to the next level. Hey folks, welcome back to Leader Talk. Uh, I'm SEAC Retired John Wayne Troxell. On this episode, we've been talking about combat and preparing for the worst day of your life. And in the first segment, uh, we talked about why it was important. Now I want to talk to you about what I think we as a nation, but more importantly, each and every warrior and every leader out there has to do to be best prepared to face the conditions they could encounter on the worst day of their life in combat. So first and foremost, we as a nation... You know, we have our national defense strategy, we have a national military strategy that complements our national security strategy that is developed by the president through his national security advisor. Our strategy for any of these nations that I talked about in terms of how we can get after integrated deterrence is important. But more importantly, if we find ourselves in large-scale combat with one of these, or if we find ourselves back in a fight against terrorists the strategy has to be sound at the Pentagon level and what the expectation is at the operational and tactical level for, for success. And we haven't done the best job of that in the past. And for 20 years, the strategy, dare I say, was kind of flawed in Afghanistan and it affected the operational and tactical action. But as the troops always do, they understand what's going on and they get after it, Okay. And then that leads to the foreign policy that we have in the nations that we end up in combat. If the foreign policy is such that the military action associated with what we're doing in that country or in that region isn't synchronized, then there could be problems too in terms of how that conflict will end and everything. But that's at the strategic and operational level. This conversation today is all about Preparing for the worst day of your life in combat and to all those warriors out there that are serving in uniform What I tell you to prepare for combat, especially when you're not fighting in combat right now is you have to be at your best individually physically mentally and emotionally prepared and if you're a leader out there you have to impress upon the men and women in your charge why it is so important to be at peak operating condition physically, mentally, and emotionally. You know, when I was a striker brigade command sergeant major of the mighty 4th Striker Brigade, 2nd Infantry Division, Surge Brigade Number 4 in Iraq, I knew as we developed our organization and we transitioned to a striker brigade to go in for the surge, I knew we were going to be in for some bloody fighting. As a matter of fact, I would lay in my bed at night thinking about how we could continue to take the fight to the enemy, and how we could minimize casualties. But I knew that uh, al-Qaeda in Iraq and other terrorist organizations, there were a lethal enemy, and they were going to get a vote. And I knew that we had to be at our peak operating ca- capability to be able to combat this insidious enemy as we went in there. And so our fitness programs were designed to get after peak operating capability. We also got after simulated combat training that would mirror what combat is about so that uh, it would mimic the actions uh, of what the enemy would be doing. So uh, through repetition and continued uh, practice and ultimately demonstrated excellence, our soldiers and units would get the understanding of what these kind of missions and what combat was going to be about. And then we had to make it hard. I mean, it, hard, so that the emotions would come out in training that would show that uh, how combat can be brutal and unforgiving. And even though simulating and preparing for combat is not actual combat, I think leaders can get after the necessary simulation that will mimic the same kind of conditions on the battlefield. That also goes after... The things that inherently take over in combat, which is long hours, lack of sleep, a lot of patrolling through some rough, uneven terrain and, and mountainous terrain and things like that. And it's not just the enemy you have to think about. It's the terrain, it's the weather and other things that men and women have to be hardened to. Don't get me wrong. We provide all kinds of personal protective equipment and you know, hot and cold weather gear to assist our men and women to be uh, able to handle the conditions on the ground. But let, let me tell you something, having served in Iraq and Afghanistan multiple times, the weather and, to- and terrain can take a toll if you haven't been training for it. So the fitness programs, first and foremost, have to be getting after excellence. It can't be just going through the dirty dozen every day. It's got to be about building physical strength. It's got to be building endurance and building the necessary flexibility that will come with wearing anywhere from 80 to 100 pounds a kit for months at a time. But then it's the technical and tactical expertise. I used to say this all the time. Some people and some leaders out there are 60 percenters. They only want their men and women to meet minimum standards. And I'm here to tell you the enemies, all of those I talked about in the first segment, and any potential threats that they that could emerge here in the future are not 60 percenters. They are looking for the best methods, the best way, and how to be at their best to kill American service members and our partners and allies. And our men and women in uniform have to understand that, and they have to understand that they can't just be good enough. They have to be better than their enemy. And they have to be at their peak operating capability physically, mentally, emotionally, technically, and tactically. And again, this comes through simulated combat training that's arduous and maximizes and taxes the service member in performing their duties. And the other thing that goes along with this is the necessary discipline, the necessary professionalism and adherence, to standards, especially the law of warfare that comes with serving as a warrior in the profession of arms. Too many times in combat, I saw where leaders would start laxing standards and discipline, and it would start eroding combat readiness of the formation. And then because of the inherent complacency that can set in because of that lack of standards and everything, all of a sudden those formations would be relinquishing competitive warfighting advantages to the enemy. And ultimately, what does that lead to? It leads to more men and women getting wounded or killed in action. Remember, combat is brutal and unforgiving, and it's always going to be brutal and unforgiving. And the men and women that serve under there, or in those conditions, have to understand that. And leaders have to continue to kick them in the ass to be at their best. And as a leader, that means that you have to be empathetic and compassionate to the men and women you lead. But you understand that you have to continue to get after discipline. You have to continue to get after efficiency and the things necessary so that you can continue to stay at peak operating capability. Not so you can just thrive in combat, but so you can fight and win. Day after day after day. Because there's going to be bad days in combat. Like I said in the earlier segment, the enemy gets a vote. But because the enemy bloodies your nose one day, doesn't mean that they've defeated you. And sometimes you got to get up off your butt, dust yourself off, understand and grieve necessarily for the losses you might have had. But then it's time to get back on the horse and take the fight back to the enemy. So in the next segment... I'm going to share with you the worst day of my career. And I'm also going to give our warrior shout out on the last segment here. So let's take a quick break and let's hear again from our friends at Downrange Supplements. How are you guys doing? I'm Colton Smith. and I'm announcing right now Downrange Supplements is in your local commissary. If you're anywhere near a base and you have base access, get to the commissary and check out our pre-workout, our rehydration BCA formula, and our protein. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. It is the best in the market, Enlisted Nine Fight Company, my brand, is partnered with Downrange Supplements for a reason, and I tell you, their products work. And also, don't forget, we kill suckers. Hey, folks, welcome back to Leader Talk. I'm SEAC Retired John Wayne Troxel. In this final segment, I want to share with you the worst day of my career in combat and how that day went and the aftermath and things like that. And then obviously, I want to give our show's warrior shout-out at the end. So the worst day of my military career, I had five combat tours. Operation Just Cause did the combat jump there in Panama in 1989, Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and two tours in Iraqi freedom and one in Enduring Freedom. And the worst day of my life was during the surge in Iraq. On July 19th, 2007, I was a Striker Brigade Command Sergeant Major. Uh, we were Surge Brigade number 4, and we were in the Northern Baghdad Belt operating uh, against al-Qaeda in Iraq, against Shia militia groups. And on that day, we were doing like we had done it, any other day, we were going out, and my commander and I were going out on an ordinary patrol to visit some of our subordinate units. We were going to go out, and as we always did, we prepped the battlefield through, you know, intelligence gathering, what the enemy situation looked like. Uh, We did route preparation uh, to see if what IED activity had been out there and everything, and ultimately, the end, where we were going, our destination, Kanban Issaad, uh, we also looked to see what the enemy threat was there. Now, we were based out of Fab Taji, just in northern uh, the northern Baghdad belt. Our route would take us through a little village called Rashadia. We would uh, get over on Route Mississippi that was on the northern side of Husaniya, a major village uh, just north of Sadr City. And we would take Route Mississippi down uh, until we got down towards Uh, Kanbani side, on the far eastern side of our battle space. Now, I want to back up for a second, because on the 15th of June of that same year, we were on a routine patrol uh, coming up and down the north-south route on Husaniya and we were ambushed. And we repelled this ambush and uh, continued on our mission. And then on the way back from where we were visiting the combat outpost, we were ambushed again. So we ended up in two firefights. Uh, We had zero casualties, uh, and reflections from signals intelligence picked up that we had killed 15 insurgents that day. It was a good day for our unit. And as we got done with that patrol that day, and the men in our patrol, were fired up and everything, and we were all excited about how we had taken the fight to the enemy, I reminded our troops that, hey, they're going to come back, and we have to be prepared for it. Yes, it's a good day today how we got after the enemy, but they're going to come back, and they came back on the 19th of July, 2007. So we were on our patrol. We had just uh, left Rashadia, crossed over on Route Mississippi, north of Husania, and we were conducting terrain denial fires with our artillery assets back at Taji. The enemy liked on the northern part, the uh, kind of uh, terrain, open terrain out there. The enemy liked to use spotters out in those areas, uh, as well as to be able to shoot rockets, mortars, and things like that at patrols. So we would start uh, using terrain denial fires with our artillery to prevent the enemy from attacking our patrol. The enemy got a vote that day as we were crossing over and, and heading down Route Mississippi, an explosive form penetrator, an Iranian weapon system developed by the Iranian Republican Guards Corps, Quds Force, shipped into Iraq and given to Shia militia groups, detonated on our lead striker. As I, the explosion happened, I heard that crew yelling for help. And pretty soon we started taking small arms fire. As I exited the vehicle to assist with the, our medics and everything because we had casualties and our dismounts, uh, led by some phenomenal NCOs, got on the ground and uh, started taking the fight to the enemy, um, I realized in a hurry that we had two soldiers that were in very bad shape. Corporal Brandon Craig and uh, Major Danny Dudek, who was our fire support officer that was bringing in the terrain denial fires. And as I helped uh, Sergeant First Class Charles Roberts pull uh, Craig out of the back of the striker, as well as bringing uh, Dudek out, I assisted him in treating Dudek. Now, we had our surgeon with us too, and he was working on Craig, but it was clear to me that uh, Craig, Craig was in very bad shape. Uh, because he caught the full blast of this EFP. And uh, as we got Dudek fixed up, he had back injuries and everything, and uh, myself and the medic and another NCO, and and we had already called in a medevac chopper to get Dudek off the battlefield. Uh, The flight medic came over to help us out, too. Now, we had about a 300-meter jaunt to get there. Now, remember, this is in July in Iraq. It's 130 degrees out. We're in 100 pounds of kit. Adrenaline is flowing. It's hot as hell out. We're under fire. And we're carrying Dudek in a hurry because of the enemy fire to get him off the battlefield and to make sure that the medevac didn't have to stay on the ground very long. Well, as we started getting towards the helicopter, I started noticing that my two NCOs and this flight medic were starting to tire quickly. And it was indicative to me that Uh, our fitness programs may not have been what they should have been in terms of being best prepared to face these conditions that day. Anyways, we got Dudek onto the helicopter and got him out of there, but this was a mental note to me, that I needed to be uh, more hands-on as a leader in getting after our fitness programs. And when I returned, we had repelled the enemy threat, we had neutralized the enemy, but unfortunately, Craig had been killed, and when I returned, soldiers were already putting Craig in the back of a striker, and we were returning to Taji to uh, take Craig to the uh, mortuary affairs, but more importantly, we had other soldiers that were minor wounded that we needed to get to the aid station. The ride back was a somber one because we had lost one of our own. I could tell that uh, the troops, a lot of them young men, and you know, in their teens and early 20s, that this was having an effect. And don't get me wrong, there is time to grieve, and you have to grieve. But more importantly, we have to celebrate the lives of those lost. So after we dropped Craig's remains at Mortuary Affairs and we returned to our headquarters, my commander and I, the first thing we did is got, gathered everybody up and the commander gave a message, you know, that this is not indicative of the kind of organization we are. Hey, the enemy got us. Okay? Hey, the enemy gets a vote and they got us that day. And my message to the men and women that day was that hey, we are going to be proud of this warrior. I'm proud of your performance out to there out there under fire. And we're going to take the time to grieve and we're going to take the time to pray for Craig's family and everything, and pray that Dudek uh, is okay and everything. But I also said, we got to get back on our horse. And tomorrow we're going to get back out and we're going to get after the mission again. And some people will think that's a callous and hard way of looking at things. But we were on day 99 of a 455-day deployment, a 15-month deployment. We were not even four months in. We had 11 more months of combat. So this moment where we lost a precious American and had another one severely wounded, we could let this define who we are and go into a shell and start relinquishing advantages to the enemy, or we can use this as motivation to take the fight to the enemy. And so I told the troopers of our patrol that you're going to get up tomorrow. You're going to do your PT again. You're going to do all your pre-combat checks, all your pre-combat inspections, and we're going to get our asses back on those striker combat vehicles, and we're going to get back out into getting after the enemy and getting out and doing our battlefield circulation. We are not going to let the enemy win. And so we did that, and we continued to get after the mission, and we continued to set conditions for our subordinate units to be successful. And although when we came in, to that combat tour, we came into an enemy infested area in the northern Baghdad belt and across the uh, Tigris River on the eastern part of Dayala province. Our last three months of that deployment as a brigade, we lost not one soldier and we had only a few soldiers that were minimally wounded. And this was from where we started and we ultimately lost 54 killed in action and over 500 wounded. And certainly... The soldier that I lost that day on my patrol was one of them. But because we stayed focused, because we learned from our mistakes, because we refused to feel sorry for ourselves and take the fight to the enemy, we ended up prevailing. And when we left after that 15-month tour, Diyala province and the northern Baghdad belt was a much safer place than when we arrived. And that's because our focus continued to be on physically, mentally, emotionally, technically, and tactically preparing for the worst day of our life in combat. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not in an era of persistent peace in the United States of America right now. I don't want our soldiers and, and service members to go to war, but I'm also smart enough to understand the threats to our nation and that if we don't come after these threats in a method that will showcase to them that if if they want a shot at the United States, it's going to go very bad for them. And if we don't retaliate appropriately to these attacks, then it could be even worse. And it's not just our service members that could be at risk. It could be our citizens. So to every person in uniform there in the United States military and to our partners and allies, are you preparing for the worst day of your life? It starts every day with living the warrior ethos and getting better every day, physically, mentally, emotionally, technically, and tactically. All right. I want to close out this show by giving a warrior shout out. And obviously talking about the worst day of my life, the warrior shout out I have to give to is to Corporal Brandon Michael Craig. Craig was from Earlville, Maryland, an infantryman. He was assigned to our brigade And he was a young man, he was a football player in high school, he was a homecoming king, and he was one of those guys that being a soldier just came kind of natural to him. And being a combat soldier kind of came natural. Prior to 19 July 2007, on the 15 June and then other days that we ended up in firefights, Craig impressed with his combat abilities to the tune Of Prior to 19 July, he had already won two Valorous Awards. Now, obviously, that fight on 19 July, he lost his life. But the bottom line, this was a guy that, for 99 days in combat, gave it all. For his men, for his fellow battle buddies, for his nation. But he gave it all to win. And he was a true warrior. And so, my shout-out goes to Corporal Brandon Michael Craig. May he rest in peace, but more importantly, will the Craig family continue to receive God's blessing as they continue to grieve. Now, if you like Leader Talk, please like and subscribe our YouTube page. Also, don't forget my book, Surrender or Die, Reflections of a Combat Leader. You can pick up a copy on Amazon, or you can go to my website, pmehard.com, to order a copy. Also, go to our Facebook page, eTool Nation. Like our page there. Everything on the eTool Nation page is about living the warrior ethos. Have a great time, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Leader Talk with John Wayne Troxell. Boom. <music>